Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace, here to talk about a fantastic Aftershock title. Uh, we have the writer on with us. We've talked about it during the first volume, right before it dropped. Uh, second volume's underway. Third issue's about to come out this coming Wednesday, so in just a couple of days. So it's my pleasure to welcome Elliot Kalin back to the show. Elliot, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Jace. I really appreciate it. Yeah, uh, Congratulations on the sex, uh, the success of the first uh, volume. It wasn't, I mean, barely issue five had come out and you guys already announced that you were having a, a second volume. So uh, describe that experience and how the reception was from your point of view. For it was, I mean, it was, it was, it was beyond my wildest dreams. It was, <laughs> you know, the, the reception we got from readers uh, right away was so positive and so enthusiastic and uh, the sales were, were really good. And we were going into, you know, second printings on the first couple issues, which is, I think the first time I've written anything that's gone into, you know, multiple, right, gone into multiple printings. And uh, so it was just really, uh, it was very exciting to have something that I had been thinking about for a long time, this ridiculous story, uh, to have it connect with people and have them be so vocally enthusiastic about it. And I hear from people all the time who are just really enjoying it, which is great. Uh, so it was exciting to do a uh, volume two. I hope we get to do a volume three. We still don't know yet about that, but I'm hoping to find out soon. But uh, I just really enjoy the the world that it takes place in. Enjoy is a weird word for it because it's a horrifying world. But uh, I enjoy uh, writing these characters and these stories and just feel very grateful that people have been enjoying reading them so much. Yeah, I, I mean, the thing about it is, and we talked about this when you're on the first time, even though it's this kind of over the top horror homage to all the, you know, slasher fl flicks with, you know, Friday the 13th and Freddy and all that. And, and you, we, again, we talked a lot about that. Mm -hmm. There's something in it that's also so relevant to what we've been going through with the pandemic, yeah. with the divisiveness of politics and such. Did that land the way that you wanted it to with readers? It, it definitely did. I mean, uh, I think we talked a little bit last time about how, the the pandemic parallel was really the one that took me by surprise because I started writing this before uh, before the coronavirus pandemic began. Uh, but it turns out that uh, Americans are just really good at not responding properly to crises. To crises, it turns out. As much as I love this country and I'm and I'm proud to be a citizen of it, there are times when we just kind of like don't don't do our best. Right. And uh, unluckily for the world. Uh, but I guess luckily for the series uh, that that parallel took place. But I was it was very uh, heartening to me that uh, people saw the saw the parallel between the story and something bigger and realer than the story of the book. That there were a few uh, I got a few comments from people that were like, mm, I can't really believe that something like this would happen. And it's like it's a, it's it's a metaphor. It's a story. It's a metaphor, guys. Yeah. Like, come on, let's. But uh, that so many people were able to read this and see that the kind of I, the larger ideas that I wanted to get at and connect it to a real thing was very exciting to me. And it just helped me feel like I communicated what I was trying to say well, which is the, the number one fear, I guess, of any writer is that you're going to say something or write something and it be completely misinterpreted or just people don't even bother to interpret because they don't like it to begin with. So um, I wish that the world was like, I wish that, that the, the book came out and people were like, mm, this is a pretty bleak. This is not what the real world is like. Unfortunately, uh, the real world is, is pretty grim these days, but, right. um, but it was, it was great to, uh, to have people detect that there was something more to it than just this guy's going to cut people's heads off. But for anyone 
who hasn't who's who's hearing this who has not read it he does cut people's heads off so that's what if that's what you're looking for in a comic don't worry it does it's not all metaphor there is there is gore in it so yeah yeah it's it's a it's a fun and wild romp and if you want to read it on that level it certainly uh delivers uh, yeah but romp is a romp is a great is a is a funny word you describe to describe it but it's great they're yeah, having a great yeah. time <laughs> yeah. i mean it is it, it is i mean it's a, in a way it's, it's it's escapism and and we talked before about how it's so interesting that we like to be scared. It's what reminds us, reminds us that we're, you know, that we're still alive for me, mm-hmm. the scariest part of the book, kind of in contrast to what you were saying about some people, oh, this would never happen. Scariest part for me is I could see this actually happening. It's yeah. not that far fetched to me. So well, it's, it definitely, um, I think we talked last time, the, the original, the, the thing I was originally trying to get at with it was the, was kind of the mass violence that has just become a regular recurring part of right not necessarily everyday life, but regular life and how the solution to that seems to be to just like deal with it better to learn how to deal with it as opposed yep. to learn how to stop it. And so it is, that's the sad thing about it is it's, it's very uh, easy to see a real world where if there was an unstoppable, possibly mystical or supernatural slasher killer that was uh, out on the loose, that this is the way it would be dealt with rather than the, uh, the, everybody pulling together to right. get to a solution way that um, that stories usually tell us, you know, there was a, uh, I, th- I forget who made this point the first time, but there's so many stories about, you know, like Watchmen or something where there's either an alien invasion or a perceived alien invasion and humanity pulls together because there's a greater threat. And that the past couple of years have shown that earth is, would be much easier to invade than yeah. anyone's thought that if the aliens showed up, some people would join the aliens. Some people would deny the aliens were really there. Some people would try stuff, but they're kind of half-heartedly trying because they're mm-hmm. worried about looking foolish if they try too hard. And so we're very aliens. If you're listening to this, I get we're open to, to invasion. Like it's not going to be that big a challenge, you know. So you might as well try. That's my inspirational message for the day. <laughs> yeah, I mean you're totally right. I totally agree. Uh, how long before uh, the fifth issue came out? Because I'm I'm curious when did you know you were going to get a second volume? Did the end of, of um, issue five change at all, knowing that you were going to have a, a second volume? Not particularly. Uh, there, the I always kind of wanted the fifth issue to end on, an, on a note of not closure, because that's what felt more real to me. The idea that if there's, if this was the problem, it wouldn't be solved particularly easily and it wouldn't, and the world wouldn't react. And the, the way people who, the, the people who try the hardest to solve problems are often the ones that people get mad at rather than at the, at the problem. Mm-hmm. Like if you try to solve a problem and you do solve it, you're a hero. If you don't try to solve a problem, you're just a regular person. If you make a problem worse, sometimes people just like, ah, eh, what are you going to do? Like, but if you try to solve a problem and you fail, you're the villain. People don't like you. And I think it because, um, it kind of reminds them that they didn't try to solve it maybe. Um, mm-hmm. And so I always wanted it to end on that sense of the threat is not over, but I know that some people, when they, uh, when they read it, they were like, Oh, leaving it open for a sequel. What a, like a non-ending, which is not how I intended it to be, to be done. But I always in the back of my mind wanted to do more stories of it. So I think there was a little bit of not knowing, not changing it. Cause I knew there was going to be a series, but wanting to leave it open from the beginning in case I would get the chance to do more. And um, I don't want to say too much about how this current series ends with, uh, with issue four, but the ending is, um, is 
slightly more closurey, but not completely closurey. Because I do want to, um, I do want to possibly do a volume three if I get the chance to. But uh, but I also didn't want to. I didn't want to do pull the same trick twice, where it's like you think it's over, it's not over. Like that. Uh, I feel like that, that. Certainly, slasher movies pull that trick a lot, and it gets kind of old hand by, by uh, or old hat. Old hand is not great either. You don't want you want your hands to stay young, and lotion is great for that. But uh, but old hat is it gets kind of old hat. That's the phrase. Yeah. Well, the other uh, aspect of it, and and the fact I was so happy when we were getting a second volume because I I love it. I love the aesthetic that uh, Andrea brings to it. Yeah. But we had, we had talked about um, and and if I should tell everybody make we're gonna reference the pre- first uh, interview a lot. Make sure you go back and listen to that if you haven't. But yeah. one thing that we that we uh, also touched on was how you you wanted a chance to have him in so many different kind of iconic locations around New York. And we're not going to spoil everybody because issue three hasn't come out yet. It'll be out in a couple of days, like I said. But when I was reading issue three, when I was reading my press copy, I have goosebumps right now talking about it. <laughs> the place he go, gets to go to at the end of issue three, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's got, that was like a bucket list for you, right? Oh, yeah. The, the, so the end of issue three, beginning of issue four, the end of issue three is a cliffhanger. And the beginning of issue four is a, the other side of a cliffhanger, like the, the payoff. That uh, I've been want it's something that I've been wanting to do since since working on the first issue of the first series. Like this is a scene that I always wanted to see, and it's and I hope everyone who reads it enjoys it and that it does justice to the idea of it. But it's something that yeah, there's there's uh, most of this this storyline, as people probably know, takes place in a school, which is not like a typically like necessarily New York setting. Although there's lots of schools in New York, but I wanted to kind of get across more of that like everyday world that mm-hmm. that maniac harry has impinged on but yeah but i still want to the, th- the original thing that made me excited about doing this was to going to my favorite places in new york or some of my, or places that that are really iconic and mm-hmm. just causing mayhem there and so yeah this le- leading i like the goosebumps term, i'm glad you felt that when i was writing it that's how i was feeling when i was like typing out the, the you know the uh, the words for the for those last few pages because i was like this is the thing like this is like it's he's going to this place that i was wanted to see him in so and if we get to do a um if we get to do volume three there's another big location that i'm that i'm excited about taking him to but uh but yeah that's the that new york is such a specific city and mm-hmm. there's so there's so many i you know I, I lived a lot of my life there and I still feel like I only scratched the surface of what it's like to, to live in New York. Cause there's so many places in it that are memorable and special and famous and iconic. And there's a, uh, I don't know, it's, it's just a very exciting place to take him. And it just feels like there's an almost endless number of uh, like scenarios to put maniac Harry in. I mean, the scenario is almost always the same. He stumbles in and he kills a lot of people, but the, but like the, uh, but how it how it changes or is affected based on um, the feelings that we bring to each of these places, you know, um, something that I still haven't figured out how to. Uh, there, there are a couple. There are a couple locations I won't talk about because I don't want. I don't want people to be able to tell by elimination what the where he goes to at the end of three. But there are all these places where I'm like, I got to figure out what he's how he gets there and what he's doing there, you know, or how it's how it's different than what we've seen before, and just because. Um, I don't know. There's just, there's just so much about New York. That's exciting to, to play in, you know, it's the, there's a reason that, that it feels like every third movie is set there or every other movie, you know, it's a great, it's a great city for stories. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the way you, 
the way you write it, the, the way the setting is, the way uh, Andrea illustrates it, it is the city is a character in, in and of itself. It, it very much is is you know just woven into the fabric. So I, it works. I hope so. It's the oh my and my and that's why it like it bothers me if I get. I'm always worried about getting details wrong. And I probably have here and there just because if only because I don't live in New York anymore. So I can't go to these places and, right. and double check them. But in that, in the first series when so much of it takes place on a subway train and I was like, I need this train to go by 81st street museum of natural history stop. Like that's a stop. I know. Well, yeah. I know that museum so well, but I want to make sure. So what stop do they have to get on? Does he have to get on at? So it's believable that he would end up on that stop. And I know the timing, I'm going to have to fudge the timing a little bit, but like, yeah. is it believable that what, what stop could my characters possibly get on the train if they're at, uh, if they're at the, um, in like Carl Schurz Park where Gracie Mansion is, and they need to get back down to where uh, they can pick up this train on the, on the West side, you know, like it was the, that was driving me, uh, that was making me kind of nerve wracked a little bit, but it's, but I'm glad it pays off at least a little bit, you know. Yeah, it, it does. And and the mystery of, uh, of you know, the Natural History Museum and how that plays in is, is yet to be completely revealed, but uh, very in, intriguing, uh, as are the, the characters of Green and Zelda, who, to your point earlier, uh, so many stories to tell. That That's the thing that's great about this story. Yes, it's Maniac of New York. Yes, uh, you know, Harry is very much a part of it, but it's also so much what other people are, are bringing to it you know what what is mm-hmm. why does green you know what what's her motivations what what's zelda's motivations what's the motivations of the girl that's you know trying to solve the mystery and, and help them out it because it kind of mirrors what we as readers bring to the story you know what what is harry to us is, is he you know he's if he's our fear but each of us we don't all fear the same Ooh. things you know sorry i'm having a little bit of internet trouble hold on a sec uh all right Oh, yeah, now you're back. Sorry. I had I, okay. the, I can tell my children are watching television. The that's that's when my Internet starts getting unstable. But yeah. I apologize. No, no worries. Uh, yeah, I was just saying that, you know, each of these characters, the girl that's trying to help solve the, the mystery and information from the museum, Zelda, Green, they all have different motivations. And then we as readers, we're looking at Harry and, and maybe we see him as kind of a representation of our own fears and we all have different fears. So it's a real interesting way to, to think about the world. And it goes back to your point. There are so many stories you could tell with Harry, with especially New York being such a diverse, uh, you know, yeah. population. There's there's so many different types of people there, and so many different lives. Something that you know, when I lived in New York, something that always blew my mind was you'd be on a subway train, your train would pass another subway train, and you'd see someone's face for an instant, maybe less than an instant. It would just be this sudden, like a flash on your mind of somebody else's face, and in your life, that person is an extra, like they're, they're someone that is just inhabiting your world for a moment to fill in the spaces. But that person has a life that's going on to them. You're the extra. They're the, they're the star of their life. And every single person on that train has their own life that is going off in different directions. And they're, when they get off the train, they're going to walk by 30, 40, 50 people who all have their own lives that are into, like just Every day in New York, I was struck by the enormity of the world and the enormity of humanity and how many stories are going on. And so something that is really um, a feeling that I've been trying to, to get at in the book, and I think I'm sometimes successful and sometimes not as successful, is the idea that everybody there is someone with their own story. There's no one there who is just who exists only to be killed by Harry or exists only to fill in the background. And of course, there are 
you can't, not everybody in every panel can, can talk, but uh, they, you know, just in the space that the idea that it's a city populated by other human beings who have their own lives going on and their own reasons for doing things. And that nobody is, um, nobody's going somewhere so that they can be killed by Harry. They're going, they're on their way to whatever they're doing next in their life. And then Harry intercedes, unfortunately. And yeah, hopefully it's I, the, the um, another, one, of, one of the reasons that I hope to, to get to do the third volume is that it's like um, the cast kind of feels like it expands each time mm-hmm. this, each time the story goes on and seeing who I can keep going with and who I can, I can continue their lives a little bit longer is part of the fun for me. I think a lot about um, the TV show, the wire, you know, every season it was like the cast expanded exponentially. And then suddenly you had this much larger cast of characters through, throughout the entire city of Baltimore, that were giving you all different perspectives on things. And I can't, Unfortunately, it's just me and Andrea and, and Taylor doing the letters so that so there's not a, or Andrea, I always pronounce his name wrong. There's, it's just me and Andrea and Taylor doing the letters. So we don't have uh, the resources to, to do an entire city full of characters all the time, but or the space, but, but we can try as best as we can, you know. Well, I think it's, it, it's definitely working. You definitely get a sense of, uh, hey, we're, we're in New York. And yeah, I give, I give uh, Andrea a lot of credit for that. Um, is there anything... Uh, in terms of collaboration that's changed between the first volume? I mean, now that you've got, you know, one arc in the can, you're onto the second one, has it gotten easier kind of developing a shorthand uh, as far as script and whatnot? I think so. I mean, it, even from the beginning, Andrea and I have, have worked really well closely together. We, we, years ago, we worked on a, on a short story together for an American vampire anthology. And even then I remember it was like, we were, Pretty, we're almost always on the same page about stuff and just have a similar way of thinking about how things will look and, and what's most important on a page, like that he goes for kind of character acting and the feel and the atmosphere over everything else. And I really appreciate that. that that's what's important to me also is that that feel of kind of like a slightly heightened realism, uh, but not not naturalism necessarily, like not, you know, the way he colors things where it's all about the, the feel of the page and what the tone is. Um, I think there are definitely some things that uh, there are certain kinds of, of pages that I tend to write. I think there'd be times where I'm like, Andrea, we've got another page where it's three vertical panels, you know, or th- three, <laughs> three or three, three horizontal panels stacked vertically. Like, you know, I like to do those. Um, but uh, I think that, uh, yeah, there's, there's, um, there's a little bit of a shorthand, but not, uh, there was never, there was very little of a learning curve for the two of us. I feel, you know, I, I'm so glad that I get to work with him on this because I love the pages coming in. They're always so beautiful. And it's only every now and then that, um, that we kind of have to stop and discuss kind of like what's going on in this page. Like what's the important thing for us to be looking at. And there are many times that, um, I'll, I'll do what writers hate to do and love to do, which is like cut words basically. Cause I don't need them because, he's gotten across the feeling that I want to get across without me needing to say the words that I had written in the script. So uh, there's a, there's a, when I'm preparing the lettering script for Taylor, um, that's an exciting thing where I get to look at like, okay, here's the script as I wrote originally. And here's Andrea's pages. What do I get to kind of remove? Cause I don't need it anymore or rework because he's introduced an idea. I really like to fit those pages because uh, it's, it's, fun to collaborate with him in that way, you know, to go back and forth in that way. But most of the time it's like, I'm like, Andre, do you think you can do this? And he's like, yeah, definitely. And then he does it. And I'm like, that's perfect. That's exactly what I was thinking. You know? 
Yeah, that's funny that you mentioned that. I was just talking uh, with Brian Michael Bendis uh, the other day, and he he was uh, he said he was talking to his friend Matt Fraction uh, at one point, and and Matt actually was thinking about that like really analytically once, and he literally counted the words in the script and then counted the words that actually appeared in the book, and he. Eighty six percent of the words that, you know, the words that he had typed in the script and a lot of its description, you know, it yeah. never was meant to be dialogue or what have you. But, yeah, only 14 percent of the actual words he typed ended up in the comic. And he's like, and that's successful. That should be yeah. around, you know, where you're at, which I think a lot of a lot of people don't realize. And, and especially if we go to talk about something like a silent book or something like Maniac, where a lot of times um, it's the visuals that are telling the story. Yeah. You know, I mean, Harry, he doesn't speak in words. Um, and then you think, well, well, the artist or, or the the writer just kind of phoned this one, and they didn't have to have actually have to write anything because there's no dialogue. Couldn't be further from the truth. There's yeah, more to storytelling than dialogue. Yeah, and it's it's uh, figuring out figuring out the pacing for those things. And I mean, Andrea, he brings such fantastic character acting for maniac for the maniac, who it's all body language, and occasionally you can see his eyes. And he does such a great job of getting across the the nuances of the very limited set of emotions that Harry is capable of. He's capable mm-hmm. of curiosity, anger, and occasionally panic. And that's about, or we're just kind of the blank stare of a, of a monster that has no victims at the moment. doesn't know what to do with himself. And uh, Andre does such a great job with that, but it's a lot like um, oftentimes the, and this is partly me coming from a television background and a comedy writing background, like, the dialogue is very easy for me to write and that flows smoothly. But yeah, writing a sequence that has minimal words or no words can be very difficult because it's figuring out what are the, what are the exact moments that you need to get across the action of what's going on? Because you don't have movement, you know, you don't have, you you can't, there's, and I feel like it's a beginner mistake that I probably fall in sometimes, but I try not to, where you try to write multiple moments in one panel Mm -hmm. because you want to get across emotion. Uh, and by, and I, by, I mean, emotion, like a movement, not emotion, like, like a happy or sad, but, uh, the, but you can't do it. A panel is just one moment in time and you have to pick, I love five panel pages. That's, that's my favorite number of panels to have on a page. So you have to pick five moments basically to communicate what's happening and what would probably be anywhere from, uh, 20 seconds of, of what a movie screen time would be to a couple minutes, you know, and, um, and that's the fun part for me. But yeah, you look at those. Um, but it is funny because sometimes the script pages will be like very kind of like two sentence descriptions of each of those panels or one sentence descriptions. And yeah, to look, if you read it, you'll be like, oh, well, this must have been the fastest one he did. Yeah. But in reality, I'm like sitting there drawing stick figures, trying to figure out like, OK, what's the like moment that I need for this panel to get across what's happening? You know, yeah, um, that's that's definitely the challenge. Uh, and you know, we talked about how the collaboration has evolved. Has that gotten easier for you? Because so many times, especially if you study how to make comics, they talk about it's what happens between the panels that we yeah. as the readers fill in with our imaginations, right? So it's not only do you have to, you know, make sure you stick to one moment, they've got to be the right moments so that it's easy for a reader to fill in what's needed in the middle. Has that yes. gotten easier for you? The more you've been writing? I think so. Yeah. It's because you start to, you start to break down in your head. What is, what's the, what's the, what's the most important moments for this action so that you can apply the one in the middle so that, and I think there's a, I don't think it's totally fungible, but there's probably, I probably 
got some help with that from coming from a joke writing background where the whole point of a joke is I'm going to give you one and two and I'm going to give you four. And if I tell you three, it's not funny. But if you instantly realize three when I tell you four, then it's really funny. And so knowing kind of having a sense of how do you lead someone to think the thing that you need them to think so that they get it without telling it to them outright. Because if you tell it to them outright, it ruins the whole thing, you know? So it's um, hopefully that helped a little bit, but uh, it definitely has been, um, you know, it's always, it's, it's, it's that process of learning, like what's possible to show in still images on a page and what's the, what's the way to do it? What's the way to, like you're saying, get, get the audience's imagination, reader's imagination to fill in that, that gap in their minds and to make it sometimes cooler if they fill in that gap than if you saw it in continuous motion, you know, right. um, to, to use that either to build tension or to, um, to have it, or, or sometimes to let the audience, the reader fill in something that you're not going to be able to do. It's too big to do on a page anyway. Exactly. So it's like, yeah, fill it in. This will be great. You know, there's a reason that um, even in horror movies, you'll see like the monster is reaching out to somebody and then the person turns around and screams and it cuts to another scene and you cut back and it's a dead body. And you're like, well, yeah, there was no way that our kill was going to look as good as the one that's in your head right now right. that you were imagining, um, which is, what, is one of the reasons. And the same way that this all goes back to Jason Takes Manhattan, where I, it was years between when I first saw the ads for it and when I finally saw the movie. And the movie I was creating in my head, in my imagination, was so much more amazing than the one that I finally <laughs> saw. Right. That it, playing that, uh, that's the trick of it, I guess, is to is to get someone to use their imagination to fill in the really cool thing so that you're, they're not disappointed when they see what's actually happening, you know, where they get to fill it in the way that is exciting to them, you know? Um, and that's, uh, hopefully with, uh, with this, this first scene of issue four, which is going to play, which plays off of the cliffhanger of issue three, which comes out in a few days, but issues, don't worry, everybody, you didn't miss an issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, hopefully we're giving people enough that they can then fill in, even more with their imaginations, you know, to make the, the most of it. Um, we'll see. We'll, you know, that'll be up to I want everyone right into, yeah, uh, uh, Maniac Imagination, care of the comic source. Let me know if it, if it works out or not, you know, when issue four comes out a month from now. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait to uh, <laughs> see people's reaction when, when three drops with that cliffhanger and then obviously uh, four. Um, and I really appreciate the time, Elliot. And th thanks so much. Oh, sure, for sure. As, as we're winding up here, uh, one last question. Is there, uh, and it could be from, from the first couple of issues of the, the second volume or, 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 or somebody reacting to the first volume, is there a, a reader reaction or feedback that you got? Is there one that really stands out where you knew you guys nailed it? I think, uh, I think there's two, two reactions that really hit that for me. And one is, uh, I think the, what, what we were talking about earlier about, um, people think people saying people connecting it with the pandemic, with what was happening in the country mm -hmm. right now, I think how quickly people glommed onto that and how, uh, how they react, how they picked it up so quickly, just as a mass event was great. Mm -hmm. But there, I guess there are two other, you know, there's two specific people's reactions that meant, meant the most to me. Sorry to all the other readers. Your reactions mean a lot to me too. And I really appreciate it. Uh, and like, I've had readers who have been creating their own like 
there's a there's a fan whose name I wish I remembered off the top of my head. I apologize to him who has been making his own kind of like soundtrack for the issues, oh, which nice. I think is fantastic, which is astounding. And like people who who want to be a part of it because I know that instinct of like I love this thing, so I want to be a part of it now. And I think that's great. Um, but the two the two reader reactions that I think probably struck me the most were when out of nowhere, Pat Oswalt, who I've written you know TV work for before, but um, is not someone that I would would say that I like know particularly I wouldn't I wouldn't fake you know that were that that I know him really well I think that he started tweeting about it and was just really supportive of it right off the bat and uh I was like Pat Oswalt knows his stuff like if Pat yeah. Oswalt approves he's of this a, then I'm, then I'm really doing something fan. right like he's yeah. someone I respect so much and I respect his sensibility and his his taste so much you know if he likes it then I'm re- then I know I'm doing I'm doing things okay that's great and so to see him spontaneously uh, be enthusiastic about it was fantastic. And the other reaction was, so my mother has been very reliably picking up the issues from her local comic shop when they come out. I tell her, I can send you issues, but she likes going to the shop and saying like, oh, my son wrote this. But I told her, this is really gonna, this is not for you. Like she's read other things I've written that she does not like. So I said, this isn't for you. I don't think you should read it. Like you shouldn't read this book. And so she would go to the comic store and pick them up and tell the owner there, I, my son says I shouldn't, I can't read this book. And, uh, but I, I want to get it anyway. And eventually she broke it to me. She was like, I started reading them. So I got to know when the next issue comes out. Like I got to read the end. I got to know what happens in the story. And I was like, yes, if I got my mom hooked on it, then I'm really, wow. then, then I've reached out beyond my own, um, my own kind of like slasher worst instincts. This is great. So I think that's the gamut of if If Pat Oswalt approves, then I know that I'm, that I'm doing right by, the exact people whose whose taste in this I trust the most, and if my mom is into it, then I feel like I finally uh, like gained her approval of some of my more horror centric uh, interests, which is something I've been looking to do for years. Finally, I did it. I achieved it. You know. Well, that's yeah. That's a that's a good spectrum. You're you're covering it all. Right? You're a hardcore hardcore comic fan and someone who probably doesn't read many comics at all. So oh, I guarantee you, yeah. never reads comics ever. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, well, again, Elliot, thanks so much for your time. Uh, do you want to remind everybody uh, where to follow you online uh, if they want to interact or, or ask questions or what have you? Sure. Uh, please, uh, please follow me at, uh, at Elliot Kalen on Twitter. That's E-L-L-I-O-T-T-K-A-L-A-N, uh, N as in North. Um, and yeah, let me know what you think of the new Maniac series. Let me know if you have any questions um, and or if you have questions about any other things that either I've done or anyone's done, if you've got questions about Abraham Lincoln, he's someone I read about a lot. Just let me know and I might have the answer. Um, yeah, just uh, follow me there and get in touch with there. I love to hear from readers. I love to hear from fans. Uh, it's the thing that is most, most exciting about being a writer is putting your thoughts out there and having them connect with someone that you otherwise never would have met in your life. And uh you know, I've read, I've written children's books and I've written for television shows. And the, the most exciting thing is hearing from somebody that it really connected to them or even just that they enjoyed it and knowing that like, oh, this person who I, otherwise they wouldn't know who I was and I wouldn't know who they were. And we've managed to connect through this medium in a way that is, you know, special to both of us is it's, it's just the greatest feeling in the world to know that someone somewhere is taking in these thoughts and that it's meaning something to them. So please do get in touch with me. They don't, you're not wasting my time. And besides, if you get in touch with me through Twitter, I can take my time getting back to you. I apologize if I don't get back right away, you know, just reach out. Let me know how you, what you think. I appreciate it. 
Yeah, and I'll, I'll I'll put a link to Elliot's Twitter uh, in the show notes, everybody. So you can, if you're having trouble finding him, you can go and click there. So again, Maniac of New York, uh, Bronx is Burning, third issue out in just a couple of days. It's Wednesday. And then uh, next month, we'll have issue four. And hopefully, uh, we'll have a third volume coming uh, later this year. I hope so, because I've got... I've got a lot. I've got a lot of stuff I really want to do in that in that third volume. Should we do it? So, but if we if we don't get to do a third volume, uh, people will be happy to know that volume two I think would still would still give them a would still give them an ending. But but there's but there's plenty more if they don't want an ending yet. Let aftershock know if you don't want an ending yet, and uh, and I'll see what I can do. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, well, thanks again, Elliot. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show again. And to all you listeners, we appreciate your support and uh, having you join us as always. And we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.